Hey guys, welcome to a new episode of Sauce Up the Scary. Derek Zoo, Jeff Wright here with you guys on a brand new journey. Jeff, what's going on, man? How are you? Uh, just hanging on during quarantine week six thousand or whatever it is now. You know, <laughs> kids are kids are plowing away at school, which is cool, I guess. But my will to stay productive is waning a bit. I need to snap back into. Uh, meaningful contributions to human society, I guess. You need to snap back to reality? Well, you know, whatever reality we can live in while the whole world is shut down. <laughs> I mean, recording Saw Something Scary with you is maybe the best thing I offer to the world anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> just check that off the check that off the list for this week. Go back to being a useless slob. <laughs> I was really hoping that you were gonna uh, when I said snap back to reality, you would be like, "Oh, there goes gravity," but that that didn't happen. So sorry. I I feel like there's a part of my brain that can wrap that whole song. Yes, and there's another part that uh, is just a useless slob, like I was talking about. <laughs> Well, then let's let's bring your contributions to the world, Jeff. Uh, this week, we are going to be talking about the 2019 reboot miniseries, Are You Afraid of the Dark? And I am very excited to talk to you about this, Jeff. It's uh, been well documented on this show that you and I both have a very, uh, very soft place in our hearts for the original series. And so I'm looking forward to um, looking forward to hearing what you have to say about this one as well. But uh, before we do that, uh, I think we've got our old friend, the horror reporter here. Here this week, right? Yes, sir. Let's get into it. This week's horror I legit didn't think we would have horror reporter stuff until like two minutes before we hit record, but uh, <laughs> I do. Uh, so remember, I said I'm a useless slob. Yes. Have we already talked about how AMC is filing bankruptcy potentially? Uh, no, because I'm pretty sure that news came out after we recorded last week. Okay, so. I want, you know, I, I'm I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian, and I read the Bible a lot. And in the Bible, this news would traditionally be greeted with, kill the fattened calf. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, if there's any institution in America that, you know, as a podcast that tries to stay away from politics, if we just take that off the table, any institution in America, I want to drive the stake into the heart of like some bloodthirsty ghoul from centuries ago, it would be AMC theaters. Right. I just need it to happen in such a way that people don't lose their jobs. So I'm so conflicted. I want the beast to die, but I want people to keep getting checks. So I don't know what to do. Somebody come buy them. Regal. Regal, come buy them. Yeah. I mean, I assume that that's what's going to happen is, you know, um, Regal's going to come in and swoop up and pick up the pieces. But, I mean, well, I mean, AMC did that to Carmike. Yep. Uh, so I just assume that this is the natural train of progression. It's like Star Wars where there's always a bigger fish. Right. The only problem with that is when there when there's less competition, things get worse. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my my theater is exhibit A of that principle. They they have never really had a competitor. The closest competitor is like forty five minutes away. And so the theater has always been able to be the very worst version of itself. You know, even when they mm-hmm. built a new one. Uh, with listeners, I think, uh, of this podcast who were in leadership, that was the best version of it. But think about how how briefly that good window of that theater lasted, really. Yeah. And those people went on to, to better things, as you know, as you do. The one good guy who was left, who really wanted to make a career of it, ended up getting, you know, his car might got bought out by a terrible company. And so I, I do wish there was a competitive balance. 
Mm-hmm. But I'm I am willing to roll the dice with Regal or really anybody else if it's yeah. you know if it's uh, Shutter or somebody bought it to just stream their content I, I guess I'd probably be okay with it because I hate AMC so bad yeah I uh, I think that now is the time for uh, you and I and the rest of our core listeners to put together that twelve hundred dollar stimulus check that's coming uh-huh. and uh, put a down payment or um, whatever a franchise fee on a on an Alamo and just send that, you know, bring that to middle Tennessee. Oh, let's get it going. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to work for like, Opinions, you know, just need to mm-hmm. keep the bills paid and the lights on around Casa de la Wright. And uh, let's get that done, man. I'll, I'll hire the good guy that I know from AMC and turn him loose. He can help us. And everybody else who chips in can just draw that sweet investor money. Let's do yeah. this. Yeah. I was going to say, I'd be willing to, uh, I'd be willing to, to leave Branson and come home to run that theater. So. There we go. We've got our main man. We can find the number two. I'll be around to just sweep up and uh, <laughs> people can. And cash them checks off all the money yeah. we'd make because people would be like, "For real, this is what a theater is supposed to be like." Yeah. Here's all my money. Yeah. What do you mean the tickets are only six dollars a piece? <laughs> That's insane. And the uh, and the, and the uh, the the theater doesn't smell like a locker room. Yeah. <laughs> and by locker room, I mean like a locker room for a team full of incontinence. Yeah. Cave crickets hopping around and crap. What do you mean that if I don't like the people beside me, I can write a note and they'll get kicked out? That's amazing. That's incredible. You mean I don't have to watch it with a screaming five-year-old? <laughs> this is revolutionary stuff. This is amazing. Yeah, oh, so man. death to imagine? AMC and everybody else keep your job somehow. I don't know how to make that happen. But. <laughs> Sorry, what were you saying? I was just going to say, could you can you imagine how amazing uh, that first showing of it would be if we'd have watched it in an Alamo draft house instead of at that AMC where that screaming baby was? Sorry, I'm, uh, I was slitting my wrists. I'm not sure what you were saying. Sorry, what, what was that? You know what? It's not, it's not important. <laughs> right now, talking you off this ledge feels like it's the most important thing. Yeah, dude. I mean, really, the theater being closed is a tragedy and also a triumph. It's just, yeah. I'm so conflicted. Yeah, it's 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 rough when uh, when the building seems like it's better off when there's nobody in there. Yeah, yeah. My uh, my littlest daughter, we were driving by the other day, and she said, "Daddy, the movies." And I was like, "Yeah." And she said, "Can we watch a movie there?" And I said, "No." And she said, "Is that a bad thing?" Because <laughs> she could tell in my voice, you know, she's little, and I was like, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> "It's bad that people aren't making money, honey." That's all Daddy knows right now. In this confusing yeah. world. Strange times we live in. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I really do. There's a there's a news item I want to get to, uh, but there's one just in the middle because it it references and updates something we've talked about earlier. Uh, did you know there's a brand new board game edition of Trivial Pursuit Horror coming out? Uh, I feel like haven't we talked about this before? Well, so back in 2018, there was a 600 question set that came out. Okay, and I bought that, and we have talked about playing it online. Uh, a friend of the podcast, Jody Webster, has talked about that as well. Uh, this is a new edition that's going to go from 600 questions to 1800. Oh. And there's okay. some special like uh, uh, I don't know what you'd call them like tokens that you're uh, that can represent your player like a creepy looking doll baby and a meat cleaver and a brain and some cool stuff. So 
Anyway, it's coming out in this fall. And you know what this is? This is the horror game version of the Star Wars franchise being released on different media throughout the course of my life. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if if we've talked about this, but I have bought Star Wars on VHS. I've bought Star Wars Special Edition on VHS. I bought Star Wars on DVD. I bought Star Wars on Blu-ray. I am now currently in the process of buying Star Wars piece by piece uh, in 4K. At some point, when they develop technology where they inject the visuals and audio directly into your brainstem, I will buy Star Wars on that stuff, too. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, 300 cards with 1,800 questions. Uh, it's coming out in the fall. Guess what? I'm probably going to buy it, and I'll probably set it by my, my now janky limited edition, uh, limited in the negative sense edition, <laughs> and maybe someday we'll play it online. Yeah, I feel like that'd be something fun to do, uh, especially right now, man. Well, I got a notification that I was tagged on Facebook, and I went and checked it out uh, a few minutes before we, we hit record on this, actually. Jody had posted this in our Facebook group and said, hey, we need to play the original one online, and him and Tony seemed to have the ball rolling, so maybe... Maybe it will actually come to fruition. We're maybe looking at a Zoom uh, Trivial Pursuit horror uh, gameplay. If you're interested in that, get in that Facebook group and let us know. Yeah, there you go. You guys have all the fun with that. Oh, come on. You got to get in there, too. I'm not a I'm not a trivia guy, man. Well, I, I will tell you this. I love playing like trivia games at a bar. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the best companion to nachos. But I also have regularly had Trivial Pursuit kick my butt. Yeah. We bought the Saturday Saturday Night Live version, and dude, I've spent a lot of time with that franchise, and I bet you I couldn't answer but one question out of six. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, well, never mind. Uh, So I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I'm I'm afraid my my horror movie credibility is going to come into doubt because Tribal Pursuit's psychotic. (laughs) Well, we just won't play anybody for like stake in the show. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. I'm just going to start reading the cards repeatedly every night. (laughs) Just Just have them off to the the side. Whoever's whoever's hosting it, every time they say it, you can just ask one of your kids to look it up for you. Yeah, that's a great idea. Daddy put this on mute and you tell me the card. (laughs) You just say it really loud. (laughs) What was the name of the killer? Ah, got to figure it out. Thank you. We'll we'll see. We'll see what I can do on that. But maybe you could at least be my phone a friend. Yeah, sure. That'll be fine. Okay. Okay. Well, here's the news I really want to get to, okay? Yes. Did you know anything exciting about the next season of The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs? All I know is that the the greatest of all time, Chris Jericho, is going to be on. Of course you knew before I did. I learned this like 30 minutes ago. How long have you known? Uh, right around that time, okay. uh, I saw it on I saw it on Twitter. Jericho posted something on Twitter about it, and then Jody tagged me in a post in our Facebook group about it as well. Dude, Jody's on his game right now. Yeah, he is. Uh, premiere is April twenty fourth at nine p.m. Apparently, we can still you know have this nice thing, uh, even though Shutter has been on the uh, on the naughty list for sauce on the scary for a while now. Mm-hmm. Let me read you what Jericho had to say. When Joe Bob Briggs asked me to come watch a movie featuring butt darts, brain sucking, backgammon for digits, a maniacal mini oats, and a dick dog, I said, what time and what trailer park? <laughs> I love that, man. Yeah, for real, dude. He really is the best. Um, Joe Bob said, Chris Jericho is the most exciting wrestling personality to befriend, uh, excuse me, to befriend horror since Rowdy Roddy Piper co-hosted They Live With Me on TNT years ago, which by the way, I did not know happened. I'm going to have to go track that down. 
Uh, in fact, Jericho may be the most famous wrestler in the world right now, not hmm. to mention lead singer for a metal band that chartered on Billboard with an anthem that thousands of arena fans know by heart. I'm going to share the hosting chair with Chris so that he can go wild on the 70s horror classic he's been crazy about since high school. He's a world-class athlete, podcaster, actor, musician. He's really a one-man bundle of pop culture fun. And on April 24th, he's going to prove that he's also a drive-in kind of guy. So there you go, Derek. Joe Bob's a Joe Bob's a Chris Jericho mark. He's a Jericho-holic like the rest of us. Do you think they'll have a little glass of the bubbly? Oh, yeah, a little bit of the bubbly. <laughs> For sure, man. I am all about uh, Jericho getting all the love in the world. Mm-hmm. It's weird. I- I've joked around that like some people just get extra. You know, LeBron James got the genetic Powerball package. Mm-hmm. But it's crazy to watch Chris Jericho and realize, okay, he's an incredible professional wrestler and you know a physical athlete. But then he's also a really good rock front man. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's also an incredible podcast guy. Like his interviews are great. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, he. Uh, I don't know. I won't be surprised if he's like a great chess champion too. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, I mean, really, there's nothing that he's done that I would say that he is, he was, he's bad at. Uh, You know, he's had four books come out. I've enjoyed all four of them. Um, Like you said, he's, he's a great interview. Uh, I think as far as wrestlers go, I think his podcast is probably my favorite. Yeah, me too. Everybody talks about what a good interviewer Stone Cold is and Stone Cold is good. I feel like Jericho's on a whole nother level. Stone Cold's good, but then he's also like, man, let me tell you about this time I was at the Texas Sportatorium, and you're like, this you're talking to you're talking to a race car driver, Steve. Like nobody cares. Like just uh-huh. let you know what I'm saying. Um, I, I noticed that uh, I watched the uh, the Broken Skull sessions on uh, the WWE Network, and and he and Flair. We're talking and, and Flair goes off track more than Steve does. But just in his in those interviews, you know, Steve will be like, yeah, now let me tell you about this time when I was going down. And I'm like, buddy, this has nothing to do with what Bret Hart was talking about killing a deer. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's just Jericho stays on track and he stays he stays concise with Austin. It, he, Austin is good because you always feel like you're just shooting the crap with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jericho actually feels like he has he's interested in what's being what's being talked about and he wants to know know more about it. Yeah, and his interests are really broad. That's another mm-hmm. thing I appreciate about his podcast. He, you know, even if even if it's not something I feel like I'm super interested in, uh the fact that he is kind of piques my interest. Yeah. Uh so yeah. And also not to just, you know, turn this into uh, a praise session, but uh you know, on that documentary we talked about the the um Ben Wall one recently. His podcast and that interview, of course, we can't know any of these guys. Benoit kind of demonstrates that, I guess. But Jericho seems like the most grounded human being on the face of the earth, just like a good dude from Canada who mm-hmm. uh, knows how to make some money and have a good time doing it, but is also super down to earth. Yeah. Yeah, I think that he has, you know, for the last 30 years, really created this Chris Jericho brand, and he knows what's good for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he stays... He stays in those lanes, but he also he's also somebody that doesn't that doesn't care to go outside of the box of what you would think Chris Jericho is. I mean, no, no one expected Fozzie to become like an actual rock and roll band. Sure. You know, they started out as like a a, a tribute mock band, really. You know, um, when Fozzie when Fozzie first started, uh, Jericho's name was Moon Goose McQueen. 
And mm. he would, you know, he would do interviews as Moon Goose and it would tick people off because they're like, all right, we know you're Chris Jericho. And he would be like, I mean, I look like Chris Jericho, but Chris Jericho's kind of been still in my shtick for the last 10 years. I'm Moon Goose, man. And like apparently really uh, made Pink mad, I think is who it was, if I'm remembering that story right. Uh, just because he, he, I mean, for lack of a better word, he was a total dick in those interviews. Like that's how he thought Mungoose McQueen was. So he just played him as a D bag. And, uh, I don't know, man, he's, he's a, he's a really interesting cat. Uh, if there's, if there's a professional wrestler alive today that I could sit down and pick their brain, I think it would be Jericho. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. I think we need to leverage this now. I think this is our excuse to try to get him on the podcast. Yeah. I was just sitting here thinking the same thing, like trying to spin my spin the wheel and try to figure out how to do it. Yeah, dude. I think, I think a need scene is, is an assignment given on that front. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, I could pick his brain about horror stuff. And, again, I know from his podcast, he's into horror movies. He's also into, like, supernatural stuff. He's also into true mm-hmm. crime. Like, there's a million things we could talk to him about. So yeah. you get at him, and then and, maybe and, the Saw Something Scary people will retweet and support the idea. Yeah, and the, the thing I like the most about Jericho is is that he never – he never sides with people on stuff like he could have. I mean, he's had like flat earth people come on his podcast and he's like, OK, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. But he never like flat out goes, that guy's an idiot or like, oh, you know what? I believe this guy. He's, he's real even keel about things. And it's it's uh, it's it's refreshing nowadays to hear unbiased like that. I couldn't agree more. So I will be looking forward to yeah. seeing him on Shudder, and I'll also be hopeful that he comes on Sauce on the Scary to talk to us about it. Yeah, for <laughs> sure, man. I'd love to have him on the podcast. Let's bring him on and ask him all about Bray Wyatt. That wouldn't be insulting. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be. We we won't we we can't do that via a video uh, Skype though because I'll be decked out in my Jericho stuff and I'll look like a total Mizark. So can't <laughs> can't do it. Can't be doing that. Okay. All right. Well, look, uh, you know, you stole my thunder as I expected. This has been this week's horror. Yeah, you'll have to tell me how the the drive-in is. Yeah, I know, man. I know. Dead gum at Shutter. Yeah, I just I'm I'm against them, yep. and kind, kind of upset it. that people still yeah kind of upset that people that listen to our podcast still watch it. Oh well, I mean, as a host, I plan to watch Jericho, so please don't be too upset with me. Ah, oh, you're fine. It's everyone else. <laughs> it's other sellouts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you had horror report stuff. I found this article out today, and it's not necessarily horror film related, but it is pretty scary and also kind of ingenious. Oh. Um, uh-huh. It comes from Indie100.com, which I've never heard of before. So, uh, I mean, put as much stock into it as you want to, I guess. Indie100.com? Yeah, I-N-D-Y. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the uh, <laughs> the uh, headline of this article is Indonesia deploying ghosts to scare people into staying inside. And it's actually terrifying. Oh, my. So, so there's a yeah. So I'm going to link this to our, our uh, Facebook group. We saw something scary, but there's a video that, uh, yeah, and, and Indonesians have decided to dress certain people up in ghosts and put them at like different places to keep people inside. Well, uh, I, I'm speechless. Yeah. And dude, there's a, there's a tweet, uh, from, 
<laughs> but we're going way deep into it today. Uh, at Roddy under slash B-A-K-A. So R-O-T-T-Y underscore uh, B-A-K-A. I don't know why I said under slash. Uh, and it says, I'm quite surprised that some of my Westerner friends uh, doesn't find Pukong, P-O-C-O-N-G, Pukong, Pukong. Dude, if you say it one more time, Puka may show up, so let's just go with it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, uh, surprised that they don't find that entity scary. Uh, they're, uh, I guess that's an Indonesian word for shroud ghosts, hmm. and they represent the souls of the dead. They jump out from the grave to warn people that the soul needs to be released from the shroud in which it was buried. And uh, this guy, uh, Roddy Baca, has a picture of one of these shroud ghosts, and dude, it is legitimately terrifying. Oh, dude, I am. Uh, I'm on indie100.com, and uh, I've made it so far as Diddy responds to fans calling him fat phobic after Lizzo controversy. So, uh, <laughs> hang with me. Oh, yeah, oh. this it was posted a day ago uh, by Evie Brees. Yeah, yeah, I got you now. Yeah, these guys look like they've been gift wrapped, right? Shrink wrapped and kind of mm-hmm. twist tied. Yeah, go scroll down to uh, around the middle of the article and you'll see that tweet and you'll see the the picture that accompanies, accompanies it. And uh, tell me if I'm wrong about that not being terrifying. Yeah, that's legit. I'm yeah. surprised I haven't seen a horror movie with that character in it. Yeah. Uh, how do they know? Okay, it's right here. So what I was going to ask is how do they know the people out on the street doing this aren't going to get COVID-19? But apparently they're just owning that as a risk. Huh. Okay. Well, hey, look, I'm all in favor of this. I don't know that I could handle it in Sparta, Tennessee, but somebody somewhere on God's green earth trying it, all about that. Yeah. <laughs> what a great idea. Right. Dude, do you remember uh, just this kind of triggered my memory? Do you remember, like, it's probably a decade ago now, but I sent you a Japanese tire commercial that was legitimately one of the scariest things we've ever yes, seen? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, it's been a hot minute. I can't remember all the details, but I remember thinking that their advertising was much better than ours. Huh. Yeah. We might be living in the wrong country, Derek. It'd yeah. be time for us to become expatriates. Ah, uh, well, I'm, I mean, I'm down. Yeah. I'll start looking into a uh, property. <laughs> well, let's start with Canada because that's where Jericho's from. Yes. Yes. Although he lives in Tampa, Florida now. So, I mean, that's the most Canada part of our country. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you who does live in Canada that you won't like to hear. Who's that? Brock Lesnar. Yeah, I'm out, but I'm never going to tell him that. <laughs> so uh, yeah, he'll just mount you on his wall. <laughs> There's nothing I could do about anything he wanted to do to me. So <laughs> I just hope he doesn't get that idea. Uh, so yeah, Indonesian ghosts. Like I said, I'll put that in the uh, put that in the Facebook group. Whatever it takes to flatten the curve. Yeah, man, that's what I'm saying. Well, buddy. We've come to that seminal moment then. Actually, I want to do things a little different this week. I have oh, prepared okay. a speech. Yes, by all means. Okay. Um, we're called the Midnight Society. Separately, we're very different. We like different things. We go to different schools. We have different friends. But one thing draws us together, the dark. Each week, we gather around this fire to share our fears and our strange and scary tales. It's what got us together. It's what keeps us coming back. This is a warning to all of you who join us. You're going to leave the comfort of the light and step into the world of the supernatural. Jeff Wright, let's pull the string on Are You Afraid of the Dark? That is actually from the original uh, pilot episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? That's how they started it up. 
That must be why it just tapped into my childhood subconscious. Yeah, man. Uh, you said You're it, welcome. Yeah, you said it a long time ago, but how we somehow managed to get out of our hometown without starting a midnight society is one of the great travesties of history. It really is. I, you know, I remember as a child, you know, watching this at five and six years old, thinking like, one day I'm going to get a group of friends together and we're going to find a place in the woods and we're going to make this happen. Like every Friday night or Saturday night or something, we're going to get together and, and tell ghost stories around a fire. And the fact that I'm now almost 35 and haven't done it is really disappointing. Yeah. It's not like we don't live around woods, too. (laughs) Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. There was a perfect spot behind my grandma and grandpa's house. There had to have been. Yeah. Or, you know, everywhere I've ever lived. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. But I guess we can live vicariously through it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, man. So uh, I was over the moon ecstatic to hear that they were going to do a reboot of uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark? I, I think uh, – I, I don't know where your where your mind is on this, but for me, uh, I think that nothing, nothing um, established my love of horror and scary stuff more than Are You Afraid of the Dark when I was a kid. Yeah, I – I have a hard time thinking of anything that was more directly influential. I mean, we have talked about me having memories of like sneaking into the living room to kind of peek over the couch to watch, I don't know, whatever scary thing my mom was watching. Mm-hmm. But the first franchise I can really latch onto is Are You Afraid of the Dark? Uh, the second is Erie, Indiana. That that one really did grab a hold of my interest, too. But Are You Afraid yeah. of the Dark was the first. And Nickelodeon was so, I don't know, man, just living out in the country and getting, we accessed it through satellite out there, uh, which was like entering a different world. It's just, you know, there's this entire channel that's aimed at my interests, and they have a scary show that comes on late at night. Like it, I don't know, it felt like an epiphany in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let me let me ask you this uh, before we really uh, get into it. Uh, I put this up on social media uh, about a week ago, I guess. Uh, there's you can only keep three of these Nickelodeon shows. Yes. And this may be this may be a little bit past your timeline, but we'll see. Um, you only keep three out of the nine. Which are the, which are the three are you taking? So you've got Doug, uh, Guts, Rocco's Modern Life, all that. Hey Arnold. Legends of the Hidden Temple, Rugrats, Rocket Power, and Are You Afraid of the Dark? Well, the ones that I spent the most time with were Are You Afraid of the Dark, Doug, and Rugrats. Okay. Um, But those are probably a little bit past mine. Like, you can't do that on television was a big deal when I was watching... Um, trying to think of other big Nickelodeon shows. Anyway, Double Dare. Yeah, Double Dare was another good one. Good call. Yeah. So that is slightly after me, but those are the three I spent most time with. It, everybody else seems to have loved Legends of the Hidden Temple, though. Yeah, yeah. So if if it were if it were me, I'm going Doug, Legends, and Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah, solid choices. Yeah, solid choices. Yeah, I put that up and and actually had a lot of response from it and. Uh, a lot of people did not put Are You Afraid of the Dark in there. Oh, and they're wrong. They're now all uh, off of my friends list. So That's the right call. Sometimes you got to make those choices. Sometimes they're painful and difficult. That This is not one of those times. No, not at all. I feel like that we, we get rid of friends for less now. But, I mean, this is something that's true to my heart. So, yeah. It was it was bound to happen. But anyway, man, uh, like I said, just I was super excited that they were they were wanting to bring it back. Um, 
And then to find out that it was just going to be like a miniseries reboot, I was a little disappointed with it. But I think that these three episodes really do uh, encapsulate the uh, the spirit of the original show um, and tr- try to put a new flavor into it that makes it a little more appealing and appetizing for uh, this modern generation. Yeah, I, I'm with you on everything you just said there. I, I initially thought this was going to be a movie, and I, I was really excited for that. Um, watching it transition into a new show was okay, but when you find out, oh, it's only going to be three episodes, uh, that was disappointing. But mm-hmm. having seen the whole kit and caboodle now kind of laid out, I'm really happy with it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that everyone, um, I mean, you know, we can kind of go wherever you want to with this thing, but I was really happy with uh, the diversification in the cast. Mm. Uh, I was really happy with the actors that they chose for the parts. And uh, I don't think that there's a better PG version of Pennywise that I've ever seen than Mr. Top Hat. Yeah, yeah, I, I want to get to that specific point. Uh, one thing, I'm, uh, here's where I'd like to start, if you don't mind. It, it appears to me that the, the principal creator behind this thing is a guy named Ben David Grabinski. Which well, sounds- the, the I mean, he's the creator of this reboot. The yeah. the actual creator of the show is DJ McHale. Sure, yeah. So that's a good distinction. Yeah, I'm talking about the new one. Okay. Um, ben David Grabinski sounds like a name from the original series of like yes. one of the goofy characters in it. I, I found a piece on Bloody Disgusting that I I read looking for a timeline, but it it ends up being more of a personal testimony from Grabinski about his love for the series. Okay. So it's called uh, How the Are You Afraid of the Dark Revival Went from a Movie to a TV Show. And he walks through how he was kind of a... Now, he, he says it himself, I wasn't exactly an A-list dude. Talking about his credibility as a writer. But he found out they were looking at doing something like this through Matt Kaplan. And he just basically went and begged to get this assignment. And he says he turned in a 20-page single-space document uh, of what he thought a movie of Are You Afraid of the Dark should be. And that got him the job. Mm. So this this was clearly made by someone who loves it. I think that shows up in the in the way he talks about the project, but also what shows up in the series. Mm-hmm. The good news is he says that this three series run is not what he pitched as the movie. And then when it went down to like, there was an interim part where it was going to be a theater movie and then maybe Nickelodeon was going to release it as a TV movie before they finally settled on this three uh, episode deal. And he says he's got all those ideas and would like to bring them to bear in you know the future uh, future, I don't know, continuations of the series, which I guess this thing's already been renewed for another season. Oh, nice. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, I love it when you, know, you love it when you come to something like this. You're like, this was really good. This is what I wanted. But then you find out that the creator is not only really invested, but wants to keep doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. So we may have good things ahead of us yet from Mr. Grabinski. You know, I, I sure hope so, man. Um, when this thing was originally pitched as a film adaptation, uh, Gary Doberman was set to write it. Yeah, that's right. I'd forgotten about that. And uh, I believe that that was the first time that you and I had talked about it on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were pumped about that because, of course, uh, Doberman wrote it. 
And uh, we were kind of hot off the trail or hot off the presses with it just coming out. I think that's right. It was somewhere in that somewhere in that time frame of 2017. Um, Maybe it hadn't come out yet, but uh, we were all anticipating it or maybe it had come out. uh, Either way, Doberman was slated to write it and uh, we were really excited about it. But, yeah, this guy does a really great job. Ben David is uh, is the guy that if if, you know, if he's going to continue to be at the helm of this thing, I'd like to see it continue. For sure. Uh, Let me read you this little section from the piece. Talking about jumping in as uh, with the idea that this was going to be a movie. I wrote a bunch of drafts of that, and then I was directing a movie for a while and doing that. And then I got a call from Nickelodeon saying, hey, we really liked your script for the movie. Do you have any idea of what we should do if we wanted to make a new show? And I immediately said yes a thousand times and went in and pitched a show, basically saying what I thought it should be. Um I got hired, and then they decided my initial pitch was probably not a right thing for a first introduction to the series. So they wanted me to come up with a new concept, because I wanted to come up with something that would work for 10-year-olds who had never seen it, and someone like me who grew up with it. Mm. And I texted the producer, Spencer Berman, and said, I want to do an evil carnival. I want Raphael Casal to play the bad guy, Mr. Top Hat, who's like an evil Willy Wonka. So uh, it seems like it was all right there in the guy's imagination. But the point he said, um, I wanted to come up with something that would work for 10-year-olds who'd never seen it and for someone like me who grew up with it. I don't know what Nickelodeon changed on their end, but I think he accomplished that exact goal with Mm -hmm. what we eventually got. Um, Now, my son has seen the first episode of the original series, and that's it. But I watched this one with him, uh, this new series with him, getting ready for this episode. And he was legitimately scared. He was legitimately hooked. And both of us enjoyed it. So tip of the hat, Mr. Grabinski, because you managed to pull it off. Yeah, absolutely. He he did a great job. And uh, like I said, if if he's going to be at the helm of of more, then I'm I'm excited to – to go down that road. Let me ask you this question. Would you like to see this come back uh, in this form of like a self-contained miniseries? Or would you like to see Nickelodeon give it like a limited run, like an eight episode season or a 10 episode season? That's a good question. I'll tell you what my ideal scenario would be. You didn't really watch the X-Files a lot. Am I right on that? Um, I I did not. Yeah. Well, they did this with the X-Files, so I'm going to steal it. Uh, The X-Files would do these standalone episodes that were just... Hey, here's this crazy thing or this scary thing. And then they would do an episode that sort of built the mythology of the show. So you'd get two or three standalones. Then you'd get uh, a mythology-building episode that was part of a longer-running storyline. And then by the end of the season, they would do they would go pretty heavy on the mythology-building. Mm-hmm. I think in an ideal world, I would get some of that. Like we would get a couple episodes where they just sit down around the fire and tell a story. But every third or fourth one, maybe the season finales would do something more meta and build to something outside of the fire. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think if I could do it and if this thing had legs the way I think it does, that's that's how I would approach it. What would you do? Um, I, I like that idea. I think that's that's good. Um, I I, th- I think if it were if it were me, I think I would go back to like an eight or ten episode season. Um, I do enjoy the you know the thought that you said with the season finale thing, but um, I do the the one thing that I missed was I missed the stories. Like I missed the fact that they were that they were all around the fire and they were telling stories and stuff. And and maybe that's just from you know the nostalgia factor for me. Uh, but I, again, like I I don't have complaints about this thing. Uh, they stayed true to the material. 
they um, they opened up new characters. You know, they they kept the same, for lack of a better word, like the same grounded material source, but they expanded the universe. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it goes it goes beyond stories. You know, we're not in a fictional world anymore. We're in these characters are, are in this in this more than they've ever been before. And uh, so, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stakes on the line and there's a lot of things that, um, you wouldn't get from the, from the original series. So, uh, I think, I think I agree with you with that, you know, a hybrid would be nice, but I'd just like to see more of them. Well, you're not, you're not alone in that. Um, I looked up the, the, the viewing statistics, uh, the ratings for, for this, and it did incredibly well based on what deadline.com represent, uh, reported rather. So it was the number one live action series on cable TV in all kids demos, which are ages two to eleven, uh, ages six to eleven, and tweens nine to fourteen. So it it cleaned up all that, but it also did super well with adults uh, eighteen to forty nine. Uh, yeah. So apparently a thirty three percent share of that, which is apparently quite huge. So. That makes sense to me. The series does really well with the people that it's generally aimed at, but there's a whole bunch of people like us coming in and being like, oh, yeah, I definitely want to spend more time with this franchise. Yeah. And I guess that kind of success is why why they renewed it for a second season already. Sure. All right. Well, let's see here. Uh, You mentioned Raphael Casiel Casal Mm -hmm. as uh, PG Pennywise. Yeah. Uh, that's a good comparison. That, that's exactly what I thought. I mean, you can see the, the DNA of it all over this, right? Or all in this, rather. Yes. Uh, not just with Jeremy Ray trailer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that poor kid's going to get uh, typecast if he's not careful. Yeah. I, I'll tell you this. I'm here for it. Anything he wants to yeah. do in the genre, I'm going to tune into. Yeah, I love it, man. He, he's great. So uh, Grabinski said Mr. Top Hat, who I also told my son, who grew up watching Thomas the Train, that this was evil Topham Hat. Uh, <laughs> he oh, well done. He called him Evil Willy Wonka, which I guess is true. I just haven't spent much time with Evil Willy Wonka. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw Pennywise and I saw the Joker. Is that yeah. uh, am I wrong on that? No, no, not at all. Uh, I saw Pennywise. Um, Man, you know, there was somebody else I was thinking about last night. I should have written it down. Uh, but yeah, definitely Pennywise. I didn't necessarily see the Joker. That's a that's an interesting take. But I, I now that you've said it, I can see it. Yeah, there's a, something about the theatricality and the um, the dingy and kind of moldering, dusty uh, theatric theatrical props visual presentation on this guy that made me think of Ledger. Okay. Which actually works out to this uh, little bit of reality I'm anxious to share with you. At this point, uh, Raphael, Raphael Cassell is still a better Joker than Jared Leto. Amen. And he's definitely, you know, he's definitely a, a good Pennywise, too. Yeah, I, I want to see this guy get more work. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there was a couple times I thought that they were having him play it kind of... Um, I was having a hard time figuring out what the character was like. Mm-hmm. But on the whole... I thought he was really good, and mm-hmm. when he like has physically has a hold of the uh, the protagonist, I can't remember her name right now. Rachel. Rachel. When he's physically got a hold of her in the uh, in the in the big tent, he's mm-hmm. he's legit creepily terrifying. Yeah, yeah, and I enjoyed the backstory as well on uh, on Sir Topham Hat. Um, you know, the, you you get to see that at the beginning of episode three. Uh, it was you know. <laughs> Right. It was it was good to to see like that this guy had a human side and it just went wrong. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, the uh, the deal with the devil thing, I appreciated that they own in the episode. Like, don't tell me he made a deal with the devil. Yeah. Some of that story of, like, the haunted uh, the haunted owner who made a deal with the devil to carry on, that's a little old. But, again, I was watching this. I say it's a little old. It's a little um, – it's stuff we've seen before. Yeah, it's, it's – I don't want to say a tired trope, but it's a trope. Yeah, for sure. But, again, it helped me, I guess, because I was sitting next to my son, and it mm-hmm. was not tired to him, you know. It, yeah. It was his first introduction to it. And I thought, oh, of course, everybody's going to run into this for the first time. It was it was Faust, uh, you know, back before the visual medium. And now it's Topham Hat for for my son. So yeah. uh, no complaint, really. And, and honestly, when you look at it, like they did both generations of service, right? Mm-hmm. This is your son's first opportunity to see this being done. But then they also throw that in where they're like, and let me guess, he made a deal with the devil. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to see them service uh, both generations that they knew were going to be tuning into this thing. For sure. Uh, I thought they struck the perfect balance. I, the only criticism I have with Mr. Top Hat uh, is that less is more. And so mm-hmm. like me seeing him in front of the makeup mirror saying she's here, she's here. I could have just done without that. Let the yeah. let the cop come into the the little tiny house and the lights go off and whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I I, I didn't. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um, I didn't like that because they don't pay it off because it seems like he's talking to someone mm-hmm. and uh, instead of like just popping himself up that she's here, it seems like he's talking to himself or he's talking to someone possibly in the mirror. Um, and you never get a payoff on that. It's just it's just kind of threw it in there. And you're right that that is him. It is probably his most over the top without a reason to be over the top. Yeah, I think for me now again, this may be something that's needful to help kids like stay freaked out without just blowing their capacitors out. Sure, but it just undercut a little bit of the supernatural mysticism around him. Mm-hmm. Like when I realize he's a guy who, even if he's talking to somebody in the mirror, who's freaked out about stuff. He's less of a threat than than basically Pennywise, which is what he had been up to that point. He could appear where he wanted to. He could snatch people when he wanted to. Like, I, I wish he would have stayed invincible a little bit longer. Yeah. But it's a small, I mean, it's a small criticism. I've been walking around the house, uh, walking up to my son saying, remember, Jack, it's all part of the show. And he'll, like, <laughs> duck down, you know. So they, yeah. they did it really well. I thought... Uh, as an adult, some of it probably didn't land as hard as it did with my son, but it was designed to land with my son more than me, and I got to enjoy it True. too. And Casal is very – he's a very charismatic performer, so he really does lure you in at the beginning um, and then is really able to turn up the scary factor automatically – I mean immediately. It's uh, like I said, man. I, I want to see this guy get more work. Like, uh, I, as far as I know, this is the first thing that I've seen him in. He was in a movie called Blind Spotting uh, that he actually uh, wrote as well, and um, it's it's a movie that I've been wanting to see. It stars uh, it stars himself and uh, David Diggs from Hamilton, but mm-hmm. I, I just haven't had a chance to to sit down and watch it yet. But I've heard it's I've heard it's really good. Uh, but that's it, man. Like that's really the only thing that I know him from, or besides this this thing. So we need to get him in more stuff. Yeah, I I think that there's a kind of actor who would be asked to do this by Nickelodeon for a kid's show, and they would be embarrassed. Uh, they, They would be reserved. But he never gives me any sense that he's embarrassed of the material or that he's going to do it as anything other than turned up to 11. Right. And man, I appreciate that. 
Yeah. No, he, he goes all in and uh, you have to for something like this. Yep. Well, that gets to something we talked about off air. The thing that I consistently appreciated about Are You Afraid of the Dark the first time around and what this revival really captured is that it doesn't it doesn't apologize or dial down being scary for kids. Um it's it's a hard thing to capture because I do think a skillful uh, writer for entertainment aimed at children has to know when to back off the tension, uh, when to introduce some levity, and, and there's a version of that for adults as well. But this this series is legitimately trying to scare kids, and if you don't want to be scared, it it's not gonna it's not for you. And I. Th- <laughs> I just think they did a good job being legitimately scary. There was a, you'll get a kick out of this, and probably our listeners too. When um, when they think about their own, you know, appreciation for the genre. At one point, my son, who's not the most self aware guy in the world at this age, he said, "I'm terrified, but why can't I look away?" And I just <laughs> laughed and I said, "Welcome to being a horror fan, man." <laughs> yeah, and I think it set the hook for him. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Uh, anything else about the rest of the cast? I didn't feel like they were asked to do too much. Um, Jeremy Ray Taylor, I'm always going to be a fan of. Uh, what else about the younger, the younger crew? Uh, I thought the uh, the lady that played Rachel uh, Liliana Ray. Ray. Yeah, yeah Liliana Ray. Uh, I thought that she did. Uh, I thought she did a great job. As uh, I mean, for lack of a better term, the final girl. Yeah, and uh, she she does a really good job conveying you know the fear. Uh, that this character is possessed over her for, for so long, but also, you know, when when it's time for her to stand up and, and do the right thing, she really has that empowering sense about her. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed the chemistry that she had with uh, Sam Ash Arnold, who plays Gavin. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's always going to be weird um, as a you know mid thirties guy watching two tweens, you know, try to be awkward around each other when they have feelings for one another, but. I thought that they they pulled that off in a way that it reminded me of, of my first encounters with the opposite sex. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I think my favorite though was uh, Mia Keck, who played Akiko. Oh yeah, I, I just I, I like that character and I like the way that she 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 did it. So uh, yeah, she was my favorite. She's strong. And now there there is a version of of the um, I think we have talked about this before. So forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but there's the version of the the teenager who is just a projection of what the creator wanted to be when they were that age. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I I call this Gilmore Girls syndrome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my wife may be filing for divorce if she ever hears that. So just so you know. We'll just I, we'll bleep it out. Akiko came really close, but pulled up just short in such a way that I could still see it as charming. Yeah. And I really liked her her brother Hideo uh or Hideo, which should have been played by um oh gosh, it just left my John Cho. Yeah. But he yeah. did a really good job of being, you know, eighty percent John Cho. Yeah. <laughs> He was really good for Nickelodeon budget, John Cho. Yeah, yeah, uh, I yeah, really enjoyed sure. that. Dude, did you notice uh, Superman was in this thing? Yes, it took me a minute because they put him in like long hair or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, Brandon Roth, right? Is that how you say his name? Yeah, Brandon Roth played uh, played Gavin's dad. At, yeah, for a hot second. Yeah, I just wonder. I wonder how that came to be, and I'd, I'd love to know what got him involved because yeah. that guy's had a pretty good TV career. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Gavin, he I think we talked about this, but we never ended up reviewing the full thing. Netflix has a series called Creeped Out. Yeah. That comes out around Halloween. And I, at the time, I thought this is the best new version of Are You Afraid of the Dark? And Sam Ash Arnold is in one of those episodes. 
So if you want more in a specifically in like a tween horror series, mm-hmm. go check out season one of Creeped Out. There's um there's a there's always a moral to the stories in Creeped Out, and he's in one about internet trolling. So, oh, fun! Yeah, it's worth checking out for sure. Cool. Yeah, it took me forever to place him. To him. Like I've seen that guy, and it was in something I was supposed to be scared by. What was it? And I finally <laughs> jumped on IMDb, and it told me. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I thought at first, <clears throat> excuse me, Sam Ash Arnold was uh, Rachel. Because he gets top billing in this thing. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he has more, I don't know, uh, projects in his in his bag to get top billing. But she's going to be in the new Top Gun movie. Yeah. Uh, I'd say good things are ahead for her. Yeah, I think so. Um, I guess maybe he did, he did have uh, more star power at the you know the point that this thing was coming out yeah. uh, but it, it did like uh, at first i was like oh okay so this girl's her name's sam ash arnold and then i looked at it you know on the imdb page and i was like oh no that caught me off guard sure but, um I, the changes I, I didn't know what i thought initially like when they when they basically lure rachel out into the woods and she has to see them in all her masks and stuff and all their masks I thought there's no way this young lady's going to hang around for this, and I and I really did think maybe it's a little too over the top for the audience. Mm-hmm. But everything in hindsight, if you stick with the series, I think it works perfectly. Mm-hmm. If I'd have quit on episode one, I think I wouldn't have been as satisfied with it. But yeah, having having seen it all the way through, I'm I'm quite happy with it. Yeah, I I agree, and and I like the fact that um you know they what didn't they put her in like a a burlap sack or something like mm-hmm. over her head to to lead her out there and and if you'll remember that's what they used to do to the new recruits in the old show. Well, that's a great segue because I wanted to ask you. I think you the series is probably fresher in your memory than mine. What callbacks did you see? Oh man. Honestly, that that's probably the only one that comes to like the top of my head. Yeah, um, I, I know that there is, you know, there's several like horror, classic horror genre references and like filmmaker references to it. You know, Rachel's last name is Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gavin's last name is uh, Coscarelli for like Don Coscarelli. Oh um, man, I hadn't thought about that. That's cool. Yeah, uh, Gavin or excuse me, Graham's last name is Ramey. You know what that's for? Yeah. Um, Adam's last name is Lynch for David Lynch. Mm. You know, I noticed. I noticed that kind of stuff. Yeah, they mentioned Hammer Films. Uh, yeah, I noticed the praise they gave the Changeling, and wondered if you felt if you felt chastened for for not loving that film. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you're immune. Yeah, I'm good. They and they did. I think these are the most obvious ones. They the they allude to oh, I can't remember the title, but the grinning. It's a Go story it. name. Uh, at the very end, they talk about some creature, the grinning. It's, I remember it being a title of one of the original episodes. And then the allusion to the the leprechaun that drinks blood has got to be an original episode, right? You know, I thought that too, but I, for the life of me, man, I can't remember there being a leprechaun that drinks blood being a part of that series, of the original series. Yeah, maybe it's set up for something in the future. I just thought that's got to be a reference. And the Grinning Ghoul or whatever that one was that they mentioned at the end, I'm I'm almost certain that was a callback. Uh, I haven't went back to confirm it or not. Yeah, uh, I kept waiting on... Uh, you, you and I talked about this before we hit record. Uh, I kept waiting on Doctor Vink to show up because he was so prominent in the series, and um, he was he was a bigger uh, ghastly grinner. Ghastly grinner. There it is. Yeah. Um. He, he was he was a prominent 
almost the almost the villain, like the con- continuity is a villain in the original series. And uh, I don't know if that actor has passed or or if they just decided not to not to do it. But uh, I was really dis- I was really disappointed when Doctor Vink with a didn't show up. Yeah, maybe that you know if uh, Grabinski stays involved, maybe we'll get some of that stuff in, in coming seasons. Yeah, I hope so, man. Um, as a matter of fact, I I thought, uh, okay, so Aaron Tager uh, was the actor who played Dr. Vink, and he actually passed away last year. Ah, oh, rest in peace, man. Yeah, he was 84 years old. Wow. So, had a heck of a career, man. Uh, he apparently played the MC in the original X-Men movie, where Wolverine's in the cage fighting. Oh, yeah. Okay. Huh. He's in Are You Afraid, Are you Afraid of the Dark? He was in Serendipity. Uh, he was in the uh, horrible Heroes Reborn. Wow! Yeah, so he was he was probably that guy from that thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I hate that. I hate that he's no longer with us. And maybe I mean he passed. You know, last February, so he could have had time to do a cameo if if need be. But maybe maybe they'll bring somebody else in to to keep that going. Yeah, or even if we just got like a silhouette with some audio from him, you know, just some yeah. kind of some kind of illusion. Um, the, the only other thing I really wanted to throw to you till we got to some of the stuff that was, I thought pretty legitimately scary, um, is that they actually built a carnival for the carnival of doom. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's super, that was a great idea. I don't know what kind of budget they were working with. Uh, this clearly had, you know, it, it was, it was better in terms of production values than the original series. Sure. But going full, you know, whole hog on an actual carnival, I thought really worked. Cause I felt like that was, I mean, really it felt like going to the fair as a kid. Yeah. Yeah, it uh, th- that was the thing that it reminded me of the most was you know being a, a kid and and trying to go through the haunted house, uh, especially uh, the the ride that uh, Gavin and Rachel wind up on. Yeah. Uh, now I will tell you, they said the phrase and or like hung it up on the screen, "Tunnel of Love," so many times. I eventually got uncomfortable, but <laughs> otherwise, I thought it was perfect too. Uh, I thought that. I mean, I would like to go on that ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would be fun for sure. Uh, let me ask you. Well, I'll tell you what my experience with Bartholomew was. When Bartholomew shows up in episode three, ready to spill the beans on Top Hat and like tell him how to defeat him, mm-hmm. I said, "Well, that's convenient, Deus uh, ex machina." And I guess this is where a kid story, uh, you know, I guess this is what they have to do. You have to have this character to come in and uh, create all that is needed to to defeat the bad guy. Right. Uh, but once they reveal him as the double crosser, I thought, yeah, Derek saw that probably uh, episode one. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's in the second episode. I just figured you anticipated it. <laughs> if, if, if it caught me blind, uh, I just figured you were on top of it as a precog. <laughs> <laughs> I actually helped write this and wrote that in. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I I thought it was pretty apparent that he was going to, he was, you know, doing the old backstab, brother, brother. But. Yeah, yeah. Makes a lot of sense now in hindsight, but it got me. Uh, I think Oh, well, that's good. I mean, it did his job then. It's the arrogance of the adult being like, I've seen it. I mean, I was basically a Kiko, you know, just like, this is kind of my area of expertise. Yeah. That was basically me, but I my arrogance blinded me. <laughs> I also love that too, man, that this is my area of expertise and that he says something that seems so simplistic as she doesn't understand it. And he's like, I thought this was your area of expertise. And yeah. I was like, suck it, Internet trolls. That's, what, <laughs> that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> How funny. Yeah. Or, you know, just Jeff. <laughs> 
<laughs> no. Yeah, it got me. Um, what else? I, oh, the other, the one other criticism. Okay. Uh, you know, at the very end, after she destroys the cane that actually does have all the power, mm-hmm. and Jeremy Taylor's character is like, you could have had anything. You could have had a private island, whatnot. That was not super clear to me in... You know, while they're having the, like, while he's trying to talk her into giving him the cane, mm-hmm. I thought the cane just basically controlled the carnival. And I think if they would have put more of the, if he would have been more of a tempter character, you mm-hmm. can control everything. I'll work for you. You don't want a carnival? We'll have, you know, we'll have a private beach or whatever you want. You know, I, I wish they would have put her in a more intense and overt temptation uh, and it would have served. But again, it's a small criticism. I think it all worked pretty well. I just yeah. wanted to, I, I would have just liked to have seen that on the front side rather than after the conflict has passed. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I thought that th- I, I didn't think that there needed to be two misdirections. Yeah. So you know, either either don't do the heel turn for Bartholomew, or just let him let him tell her the the, the real thing. That way, we know what the stakes are. Sure. Um, having him be the bad or you know be in cahoots with the bad guy and April Fools her with the top hat was. I thought that was a little too much. Um, I, and I'm with you on that. Like I, I wish that that could have been fleshed out a little bit more but i think at the same time you're probably for again for the uh, age group that it was designed for there are going to be some things that aren't for us that are for them yeah and i think that i think that was one of them sure sure i Again, it worked. It worked with the test case that lives in my house anyway. When we got done, he said, are there any more episodes? Oh. And so, uh, you know, I I think they they nailed it. Yeah. And I told him, well, we'll go back and watch some more of those original. I I bet he doesn't even remember when we first tried watching that series. And so I told him we'd just go back and do that, and he'll give us extra episodes that way. Good. I'm excited to I'm excited for you to report back and see if those things hold up with this generation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think about the stuff that scared him the most. Uh, I thought I know this one was one that freaked him out um when Akiko and her production assistant are being chased by the scary clowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was legitimately scary and my son did too. Um man that whole sequence like they they build really well to where in the middle of this three episode arc, I mean, in smack dab in the middle is where like the chaos sequence happens. Yeah. And uh, for me, I didn't think that there was anything legitimately more scary than uh, than all of that happening to the group as a whole. Uh huh. Yeah. I thought that's up, where they're still together yeah. and they're going through it. Sure. I just I felt like that's where as far as like the the scary parts of it, that's where it hit its its apex. But it was it was really good. Yeah. Uh, the opening sequence where she's like going out in the woods for the first time and she eventually makes her way through and sees them sitting there with their masks and whatnot. I thought the masks work pretty well. And I also, I mean, for again, my son was really, really on the edge of his seat chattering. I thought that worked pretty well. Uh, I don't know. Anything else that, that stands out to you as being, being scary? Um, I mean, really, when she confronts Mr. Top Hat as a child, and he's kind of hunched over, and he grabs that scorpion and like takes a bite out of him, huh. um, 
you know, if you put yourself in the position of like, oh, I was, you know, I, if I were a five-year-old child that had gotten away from my parents and I saw this person who up to this point seemed like, you know, was the very charismatic, like everybody's friend and let's all have a good time. And just remember it's part of the show, you know, all that stuff. Um, see him make that 180 so quickly as a child that young. I think that would terrify the crap out of me. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I feel like I thought my son maybe even confirmed that. Just kind of scouring my memory here, the most like pocket Pennywise version when Hideo dis- disappears in the bathroom. Yeah. And Akiko goes in and sees him in the mirror and stuff. I thought, again, as a a dialed down version of, of it that worked really well. Mm-hmm. I'll also tell you, I can't remember the kid's name, but you know the the skinny, goofy kid who first be, uh, befriends Rachel? Andy. Andy. When, uh, when he disappears as sort of like the Nickelodeon version of Georgie. Yes. Or maybe Adam. Adam. Not okay. Andy. Adam. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Uh, Adam. It, it worked, like particularly with the dog standing out in the rain waiting for him to come home. I was like, oh, yeah. this is no yeah. good. Uh, and just the visual, the drone shot of him running into the tent and never coming out the other side, I thought worked quite well. Yeah. Actually, okay, I, I will quit doing this. The uh, the visual effect of the ink running off the posters mm-hmm. was really well done, too. I liked that quite a bit. Yeah, and that was major it vibes for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So For sure. This this thing seems like, and, and it's probably a product of the time, but it seems like if, um, if you wanted to mix Stranger Things with it, this would be what you would get from it. Yeah, I think that's entirely fair. Maybe, maybe, maybe Goonies instead of Stranger Things. Okay. Um, because I feel like there's more comedy in this even than in Stranger Things, at least in three episodes. But I think it works to like accommodate itself to younger kids, if that makes sense. Sure. I'm I'm not going to quibble with Stranger Things. I'm just saying that. Goonies is obviously eligible for the you know for the parentage on this as well. There's there's an extensive yeah. family tree and Goonies is in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, also, I got I got to say, and I'm I'm sure this is um, <laughs> this is one of those well no crap Sherlock moments, but uh, man, at the end of this thing where when she does destroy the cane and uh, Topham Hat is dissolving, uh, serious Dorian Gray vibes. Oh yeah, yeah, good call. That's a good call. You know, I think as soon as I think Bartholomew even stresses it, like he'll go old real quick or, you know, something to that extent. And I was like, oh, he's Dorian Gray. That's sure. Cool. Sure. Yeah. So, Which, I mean, I guess. The, oh, go ahead. You uh, first. I, I was just going to say, by the way, I just wish that we could have a Dorian Gray movie. Yeah. Really. That wasn't uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. And don't get me wrong. I like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I like the comic better than the than the movie. But yes, let's just do that. Yeah. There you go, Hollywood. There's your next great idea. Yeah. I'll I'll be in it. Yeah, that so sounds let me be Dorian Gray for sure. Yeah, or I can be Alan Quartermain. Either, but only if I only if I get to do it as Sean Connery. <laughs> I'll play the Invisible Man uh, with just voiceovers. <laughs> I'm Alan Quartermain. <laughs> That's good. I, I guess really the last comment that comes out of this little discussion here is that this series isn't reinventing the wheel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it's clearly playing with. Stuff we've seen a lot of, particularly in recent years, of of the revival of like children being involved in supernatural scares, Stranger Things, it, 
Um, but it also never feels like a ripoff. Right. I feel like it's paying tribute rather than just woodenly copying. And I appreciate that. Yeah, it feels it feels more like a cousin to those things than it yeah. does um, like a, a ripoff or you know something like that, for sure. Yeah, that's well said. I, I completely affirm that idea. Well, man, that's all I got to say about that. Yeah, man. I mean, um, I, I agree. I, I feel like that we've kind of we've kind of done a really thorough job of of uh, geeking out on this thing. So let's let's get to the sentimental questions. Uh, on a scale of one to ten, where would you rank the reboot miniseries of Are You Afraid of the Dark? This was uh, in context. I would say an eight. <laughs> I said sentimental instead of seminal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sentimentality is a big part of what we're doing here. So it might yeah. be Freudian, but it's also accurate. <laughs> it just hit me. I'm sorry. You said eight? In context, I, if, I, if I had no relationship to this franchise and I came into it as an adult, it'd probably be closer to like six and a half. Uh, sure. But accounting for it carrying on the tradition, accounting for the way it literally did what, it, you know, it hooked my son um, mm-hmm. on horror stuff. I think this is an eight. I agree, man. Uh, I, I think that as far as a self-contained story, you're probably right uh, on both fronts. You know, it's probably a six and a half to a seven. But because of nostalgia and uh, how much the series means to me and the fact that they did a great job in continuing this franchise for another generation and going beyond the page and allowing us to um, to really get to know our uh, narrators and um, you know really get to get to um, like I said get to know them and and, and you know th- those be our heroes not the stories that they tell um, I thought that it was a really good way to to keep the th- to keep the the franchise going and so yeah so I, I eight eight and a half sure did we see something scary yeah I think so man. I think you know we we mentioned several different uh, several different things that not only would scare the demographic that it was looking for your son and a little bit older, but also I mean there was a couple things in there where I was like, oh dang, that's that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm I'm in agreement. Well, a good time was had by all, I think. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, good things come out of this quarantine and having the chance to revisit Are You Afraid of the Dark uh, one more time was was one of those good things. So I'm glad that we were able to do it. Yeah, I agree completely. I know that there's a lot of people dealing with a, a rougher version of the quarantine than I am. But getting to watch this with my son is, is something that I will remember for a very long time. And I'm thankful for that chance. Yeah, absolutely. So what did you think about this, listener? Let us know in the Facebook group. We saw something scary. You can join. As a matter of fact, we had a new member join today. So uh, welcome, Mary. Glad that you are with us now. And uh, you guys can join that thing. Be a part of the conversation. Uh, As Jeff and I said, our horror reporter really is Jody Webster. And (laughs) he's usually firing off stuff all the time on that thing. So uh, that's usually the best way to get your your horror movie news through the week. Um, If you've enjoyed the episode today or have been listening for a while, man, do us a favor. Hit the subscribe button. If you have done that already, go ahead and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we're everywhere that you get podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, J-Date, Plenty of Fish, Farmers Only, uh, Tractor Supply, wherever you're at, uh, we're there too. 
and we want you guys to uh, to be a part of the conversation and to be a part of the team. And also, of course, if you love what Jeff and I do every week for you and you just want a little bit more, head on over to patreon.com forward slash scary podcast. And that way you can subscribe to our bonus content or you'll get a bonus episode every month. And as a matter of fact, uh, Jeff, if you don't mind me spilling the beans on this, this month's episode is going to be a continuation of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Jeff and I are going to pick a couple episodes of the old series from Nickelodeon, and we're going to do some watch-alongs with those. And uh, so very excited to do that. Very excited to keep doing a little more deep dive here with the, the Are You Afraid of the Dark franchise and, and uh, universe. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash scary podcast and uh, help us out. For sure. For sure. What are we doing next time? Uh, man, let's go underwater. Sounds like a plan. Uh, that hit Redbox, and I think you said online streaming today. So yes, let's, uh, yes, let's get it done. Yeah, so we'll be reviewing Underwater, the uh, Krista Stewart movie that came out early uh, this year before everything went crazy. And uh, I've heard nothing but good things about it, so I'm excited to give it a watch. Yeah, me too. I had I had expectations for it to be terrible, but the reviews kept trickling in from people I, I find credible, and I dead gummed it. Sounds like it might not be bad after all. There you go. So let's. <laughs> Hey, man. And if if it is, it's not like we haven't reviewed horrible stuff this year. For sure. So we'll just add it to the list. Uh, But until then, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, He's at Right Jeff. I'm at Derek Zoo. And we are out of time. For Jeff Exotic, this is Derek Baskin (laughs) telling you, stay away from clouds and sewers, white people, teacups, teacups, and blind men with turkey pasters. That's why I should never deviate from the original stuff, man. Then I get all tongue-tied. Derek, listen, remember, it's all part of the show. (laughs) I deem this meeting of the Midnight Society closed. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Stay inside. We'll see you back here next week. Bye-bye, man. 